At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 14, Dr. Joel Furman and how our nutrition affects our intelligence and behavior and what we can do about it. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Today I have with me Dr. Furman. This is a great honor. Dr. Furman is an amazing contributor to the field of plant-based nutrition. He's a board-certified family physician who practices in New Jersey, six-time New York best-selling author, international recognized expert in nutrition and natural healing, and he has appeared on countless radio and television appearances and has several scientific publications. And on top of all of that, he is a former world-class figure skater. How cool is that? Dr. Furman, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Looking forward to talking to you today. I invited you to be on my podcast because I recently read your latest book, Fast Food Genocide, after I heard you talking with Chef AJ. And this book is amazing. It's both sobering, but also optimistic. You've written so many books, and I've read a lot of them, but this one is different. It takes us down a fascinating road where you make some connections between some of our societal problems like violence and poverty to our food, which is not something that we typically think about. Why did you write this book? Well, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing books and doing research in the field of nutritional science, you're probably reviewing maybe 10,000 research articles to call the 1,000 you might want to be using for that book. But, in, but you, that's um, 9,000 you're not going to use, but they have some information that you might put away in the back of your mind that's some, good for some other project down the road, but not for this particular book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying right now is that in writing the books I've written, the 10 or 11 books I've written over the last um, 10 or 15 years, 
I've collected a lot of research on the effect of food on the human brain. That book wasn't about that, and food on crime, and food on intelligence, and food on the ability of a people to actually be fully creative and to be happy. And I've, and I've got a, a tremendous amount of data and research on the fact that what people are eating isn't just negatively affecting their health, it's negatively affecting their intelligence, their outlook on life, their creativity, their, their ability to be productive and to, to be a good father and to be a mother, to be loving. And food is making you more angry and violent and more trigger happy and more, in other words, food is affecting people's ability to just everyday interact in their everyday life. And, and I knew this is a book that had to be written. And then I was actually contacted by a lot of people that said, you know, you've got to help our community. You know, we have people in, in food deserts who are, you know, don't get food. You should write, write books, you know, for this type of person or to help this issue. And I said, you know, that's not my job. I want to have a book that includes um, a lot of information so people and other people can take, can use it as a, ref, a, a reference book. Or to, and they could extract information from it to, to include whatever, whatever, whoever they're trying to reach. The point I'm making right now is I, so I didn't just want to write a small book. This person asked me to write a, a small booklet of like 15, 20 pages. No, I can't do that. I'm going to write a whole book and include all the information in one book so people have, can use it as a reference source. The book is called Fast Food Genocide. And I recognize that a lot of people realize that fast food and processed foods causes obesity and diabetes and cancer and heart disease and dementia. But they don't know the extent of it. They don't know, for example, that in areas of the country that we call food deserts, where people are eating even more fast food, that they have seven times the risk of stroke under the age of 45, and people are being put in nursing homes you know, in their 30s and 40s. They don't know that, pe that teenagers are getting diabetes and that people in their 20s and 30s are having strokes. They don't even know that this is going on. Okay, so the, the other, then the next thing is not only people don't know how severe it is. Now we're talking here about 10 times the risk of heart disease and people eat a lot of fast food compared to people who eat hardly any. So tremendous differences in, in disease possibility here. And even in, talking about breast cancer, even in the United States, we have some areas of the country that have twice the risk of breast cancer than other areas. And we have countries around the world with one twentieth the breast cancer that we compare to America. The point is, is that this idea that's predominantly genetic or we can't, or we're going to win the war on cancer with a magic pill is just insane. We know what, we, we have enough information to know what causes cancer right now, and we could win the war right now if we put this information into action. And the other issue here, there's two more issues. One is the fact that food affects the human brain, decreasing intelligence, you know, linked to criminal behavior, drug abuse, food is highly addicting, and the last thing is how it damages the future generations, damaging our, our genes. So we have now children with more autism, growing amount of autoimmune conditions, allergies, and also intellectual and brain dysfunction in, in our children in the future. So we're actually, how should we say, weakening our genetic, our genes which we're in future generations are inheriting, enhancing this potential genocidal effect on the human population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all of this stuff is really, really scary. And I think maybe some people are starting to realize the connection between food and chronic diseases of the body, like heart disease and diabetes and those kinds of things. But I feel like the connection between food and brain diseases, such as Alzheimer's, dementia, depression, anxiety, and right. even some of these tendencies like criminal behavior, that seems like a whole step further. Um, 
Has, since when have you started realizing this connection, the, the link between the food we eat and how our mental health is doing? Well, I think that for most of these years, I mean, I, I've been working in this field of nutritional excellence for more than 25 years. And I think that for more than a couple of decades, we've seen the link between nutrition and depression. But I think it's relatively new in the last 10 years or so that we're really putting together most of the studies showing the link between food and drug and the propensity for drug use and drug abuse mm -hmm. and lack of intelligence. And not just depression, but even people who are not fully depressed, wouldn't meet the criteria for major depression, have a mental fog, a loss of creativity, and, and like a lack of enthusiasm about their life. And almost like, so, so unhealthy foods give people, they become desperate. They become almost like put in a box, like a prison. They're not in prison with drug use. But they're in prison because they think they can't, they're, they're, they're overweight, they're unhealthy. Mm -hmm. but, they're, but they're not emotionally satisfied with their lives. Mm -hmm. And they're very prone to anger. And they're very, and we know we have more criminal behavior and more violence in, 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 in um, countries and in and in um, states that have higher rates of diabetes and higher rates of obesity. We have more obese people and more um, diabetic people in cities too. We see more crime and violent behavior. In other words, there's a link between fast food and processed foods and body weight and fast food and processed foods and crime and also of course processed foods and sugar and brain dysfunction and propensity for drug use and crime. What we're, right now we're seeing the fact that um, because fast foods like oils and sugars and white flour enter the bloodstream so rapidly. There's so many calories come in so quickly that they signal and set off dopamine receptors in the brain, similar to the consumption of opiates or snorting cocaine or taking our narcotics. Mm -hmm. And those brain receptors over time become dopamine insensitive. So it leads you to try to go after more stimulation and bigger portions and more sugar and more fast food and, get, and you're not satisfied. Mm -hmm. And then alcohol and drugs become um, more, you, know, you, you start to utilize food and stimulation of the brain as your, um, meth, as your reason for living. They work, they, people work a job and they go to get drunk, or they go to stimulate their brain with smoking or with alcohol or with food mm -hmm. or with drugs, mm -hmm. right? So they're, they're, their happiness doesn't come from self-fulfillment, enjoyable behaviors, pleasurable pursuits, relationships, sports, arts. Their, their happiness doesn't come from their life. It comes from stimulating the brain. Yeah. They live to stimulate the brain with food or with drugs. And it leads, and, and as their brain becomes more dopamine insensitive, they become um, a higher propensity to developing drug abuse. And the, the majority of people now that are incarcerated in federal prisons are there because of nonviolent drug-related offenses. Mm -hmm. So they're there because of drug use. And they say, you know, processed foods, candy, um, Franken foods, fake foods, and, and, and fast food are the gateway drug to opiates and to narcotics and to illegal drugs, you know, because they, and, and there's a, the link between candy consumption and fast food consumption and, and drug use and criminal behavior is better than the link between poverty and drug use and criminal behavior. It's better than the use between poor parenting or no parents or bad parents. You know, it's, it's better to live in an orphanage. You have less risk of drug abuse then compared to having parents that fed you a lot of candy and fast food. It's the, the, the biggest correlation. You know, people, you know, so there's so much evidence here. We even have studies that show that when people are incarcerated, 
or do have emotional disorders and brain dysfunction put in special schools. We feed them better, improve their nutrition. We're very often able to have these people have a better chance in life to start to be, become educated, to lose that anger, and to become, and to become better learners. So we're seeing that nutrition can also help people who are in trouble. Absolutely. It's such a vicious cycle because those feelings of being able to experience joy, that's like a foundational emotion for a human. And so if you have a decreased capacity to have those emotions, those pleasurable emotions, you are stuck in a trap. So how do we get out? And, and if we have children that have already been exposed to these hyper-palatable, hyper-processed foods, and they're already stuck in the trap, how do right. we start to get out of that? Well, you know, that's what I've done for these last, you know, for, as a career, is I, I've put together a comprehensive program that includes making healthy foods taste great and showing people how to transition their diet first by crowding out, and I teach them, you know, how important it is to eat foods that are very nutrient-dense to protect the human brain. So it's not just good enough to have fatty acid exposure to DHA and EPA for the brain. It's not good enough to just to have vitamin adequacy, enough B12 for the brain. All these things are important. We need to have the right fatty acids. We have to need to add it. But, we, but the brain is also a big utilizer of phytochemicals and antioxidants. The brain has needs a constant and continual supply of antioxidants to prevent damage to the brain. And we need an assortment of colorful plant foods. And what I'm saying right now is that the link between these colorful exposure to this full spectrum of natural plants to protect the brain doesn't just protect you against dementia, it also protects you against depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So the lack of these plant foods, so you can develop brain disease, depression and anxiety and other mental illnesses from a lot of different factors that hurt the brain could be B12 or EPA or DHA deficiency. And some people don't convert the short chain fatty acids like ALA from walnuts and flax seeds. Some people genetically don't convert that into DHA as effectively as others. They're more dependent on let's say supplements or fish oil or fish exposure and other people convert enough, maybe wouldn't be as dependent. But so, there's, so that could be a cause of depression. And there's a recent study that came out that showed that um, vegans and vegetarians had higher amounts of depression compared to eating conventionally. And it was, you know, because of maybe a, um, a lot of people not converting, maybe this broad spectrum DHA deficiency that's very common in vegans. We did a study on 166 vegans who were not supplementing. And we found that about 60% were insufficient in DHA conversion you know, genetically not converting it. Because even with their exposure to walnuts and flax seeds and the, the enough ALA and not eating omega-6 fats, they still didn't convert adequately. It was mostly based on genetic differences. So mm -hmm. some people do need that. But nevertheless, what I'm saying now, now is people are focused on fatty acids and fatty acids for the brain, but also the brain is the continual supply of antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And without this continual antioxidant ex exposure, it, it, it reduces your intelligence you lose brain cells with aging, developing dementia, and it predisposes you to increase fragility and more likely to develop depression and other mental illnesses. Exactly. And like you were saying, even if you are supplementing DHA and EPA, but you're eating donuts and pizza all day long, you're still not going to be optimizing the chances for your brain to have long-term long health and longevity. This might be a good time to Talk to us a little bit about the term you coined, nutritarian diet, and the G-bombs. 
Right. So, you know, I, work, I use the word a nutritarian diet just because I, it means a diet that's rich in nutrients. But it also means having the full nutrients humans need to fully sustain themselves. So I want to put together a diet style that's, that maximizes human longevity, uses modern nutritional science. So I, so I always talk about a diet that's very high in nutrients in comparison to the calories you're consuming. Because we can eat a lot of empty calorie foods that don't have much nutrients in it, like bread and white flour and white rice and pasta and bagels and donuts and cookies and crackers and rice cakes and breakfast bars. We can eat foods that just give us calories. What I'm saying right now is the more calories you consume that are low in nutrients, the more you've shortened your lifespan and increased risk of becoming depressed. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the more you eat foods that are rich, naturally rich in nutrients, which also usually have low, lower amount of calories. Mm -hmm. So as we fill up with high nutrient foods, then we, it suppresses our appetite. It makes us not crave calories as much. So it puts us in tune with the amount of calories we require to maintain a healthier weight. And it also supplies us with nutrients. So that idea that we have to eat a diet higher in nutrients is not just talking about the amount of nutrients we consume. I want that amount to be excellent, but I also want the full spectrum of nutrients that humans need to make sure we're not missing any particular nutrients that humans need to maximize their health. And that's where a nutritarian diet is designed to make sure we're not missing any of those pegs in the important holes. And we were talking about making sure we get K2 and zinc and iodine and all the phytochemicals we need. And it's not that, you know, we could say, well, isn't a plant-based diet good enough? Whatever that means, plant-based, it means maybe it means, maybe it means mostly um, plants or, you know, being near vegan or flexitarian or what are we, you know, what are we talking about, a diet that's mostly healthy plants. But we're finding that some particular plant foods have more protection against later life cancer than other foods do. They contain isothiocyanates, they contain genesis inhibitors, they contain, you know, we're talking here about organosulfide compounds from onions and scallions. So I want people to recognize that it's not good enough to just to eat a diet that's vegan, let's say, because you have to eat a diet that's giving us the nutrients we need. And maybe eating, you know, um, you know, rice, brown rice and white potato is not going to protect you against cancer as much as it would be had you consumed broccoli and salad and arugula and pomegranates and mushrooms and onions. So I made this, so I came up with this acronym, G-BOMBS, G-B-O-M-B-S, which just, just pe puts people at the forefront of their thoughts, the foods that have shown the most protection against later life cancers, you eat them regularly. So we want people to try to eat these foods daily or almost every day. And it stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So we're talking here about studies on flax seeds, showing they contain so much lignin that there was a 10-year study on women with breast cancer that the risk of dying of breast cancer decreased 71% for people having a little bit of lignin in their diet. And, and flax seeds have 50 times the lignins of, of almost any other food, except for chia seeds maybe, you know. But the point is, is that there, there are a few seeds that are very high in lignins, and we, we shouldn't just think that it's good enough to you know, eat some nuts and seeds, but you should actually eat some flax seeds or chia seeds to get enough lignans. We should specifically eat some of those foods. And it's not, you know, and also we should eat some mushrooms mm -hmm. because some cooked mushrooms has dramatic protective against, against cancer. And we should eat a little bit of onion or scallion raw because the, the raw onion or scallion have a huge effect, even a small amount in the diet. And, and eating raw green vegetables like arugula or kale 
that contain, that are in broccoli, rich in these isothiocyanides, these ITCs, that have very powerful anti-cancer effects. We should not ignore those foods. We should try to include them in our diet. In other words, what I'm saying is here is that modern nutritional science has made some dramatic advances in the last couple of decades, revealing tremendous power to fight off later life cancer, that we already have the knowledge base to win the war on cancer right now. We just have to apply these foods. So I put together a full dietary portfolio that includes all these high cancer foods in the right amounts and prepared in the right ways to maximize their nutrient exposure. Like for example, you cook the mushroom, but you eat green vegetables raw. And if you're gonna steam the broccoli, you do it only for five or six minutes. Or if you're gonna put the kale in the soup, you blend it before you put it in the soup, because if you put it in the soup and then blend it, you've lost the ITC. So in other words, it's the right food preparation techniques to maximize the retention and production of these anti-cancer nutrients. So what I'm saying is a nutritarian diet is designed to get the maximum bang for the buck out of these foods. So we can really give people um, the most therapeutic potential. And as we apply it now to disease states, we see tremendous things. People get rid of their psoriasis, their lupus goes away, you know, their MS goes away, their reverse heart disease better, their diabetes melts away within a few months, they become non-diabetic. So then we can apply this diet style and tweak it for individual needs to make it um, therapeutic, a therapeutic intervention for certain disease states. Excellent. So you're leveraging the benefits of all of these foods. Because if we're going to eat anyway, why not try to make every meal and every bite, like you said, optimized to give us what we need for the future, but also for today, because it's, it helps us start to feel better now, especially if you're transitioning from the standard American diet, high in processed foods, and maybe you're not feeling as good. Um, you're having that low joy in your life, low energy, that can start affecting your brain almost immediately. It's pretty amazing. Right. So, and, I, and, I use the, and I use just to, to start out with giving people a big salad every day, mm -hmm. just to start out with a big salad every day and to make a pot of soup on the weekends that has beans and mushrooms in it. So they make this vegetable bean and mushroom soup on the weekends and they have the salad every day. It's a great place to start because you're right. The minute they start consuming raw scallion and raw onion and they use a nut and seed based dressing, get those nuts and seeds in the salad as part of the dressing because it facilitates the absorption of those anti-cancer compounds because you could absorb sometimes 10 times as much carotenoids when you include nuts and seeds with that same meal compared to eating the salad, let's say, with a low-fat dressing or completely not eating nuts and seeds. There's another fallacy going out there because people think like high-carb, low-carb, high-protein, low-protein, low-fat, high-fat. They, they think that the there's some ratio, there's some ideal ratio of fat to carbohydrate, or carbohydrate to protein that's going to make their diet good or bad. And those ratios are almost irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's really the right. It's really the ratio. It's having the high, the diet being high in nutrients and making sure that there is enough fat present to facilitate the the proper absorption of those nutrients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, and and I agree too. I think people really overfocus on the macronutrients and what percentage of this and that. And I tell people, right. don't even count, don't count calories, don't weigh and measure. Just eat these foods. Eat when you're hungry. Stop when you're satisfied. And the other thing about salad too, because it's low in calorie density, is you have to eat a big salad sometimes. So as big as your head or bigger. My, my salads are gigantic. <laughs> so that's fantastic. I take pictures of them and put them on Instagram. They're very large. Wow, that's great. So 
As, I don't know if you heard about this study that just came out, New England Journal of Medicine, that is predicting that 57% of kids could be obese by age 35 if we continue on the same trajectory that we are right now. What can we do? Is there anything that we can do to slow down this epidemic of, of overweight and obesity in our children? Well, you know, it has to be a, we, that's what my, you know, that's my mission. My mission is to educate people. And I have to, and, and I can't do it myself. We need people, we need health professionals, we need educators, we need teachers, we need celebrities, we need politicians, we need athletes. We need, so the more people that are informed about the importance of good nutrition and see it as something that's important for our society. In other words, we all have to be in this together. And you know my view is it should be reading, writing, arithmetic, and nutritional science. People should be taught nutrition throughout grade school and junior high and high school. Not just because people are learning this in, in graduate programs or in medical schools, even though they're not learning in medical schools. But it's something that we all, every person who's out there, you know, driving a truck or being a plumber should know about nutrition because it's the most important thing to protect their health and to protect their brains and to keep themselves happy. Because you can't, you can't have a life if you're not, if your brain isn't working right. Mm-hmm. And your taste buds adjust to what you're used to eating anyway. And you can learn great tasting recipes to make it healthy. So our whole, so you're asking me how do we change things? Is that we all do our small part, but we have to, but what you're doing is you're growing this message and you're growing, you're getting people interested in this message and they often have to do their part. You know, so every person is important in the, in this, um, you know, in the process Every person's equally important. I'm important, you're important, the people you're in contact with. We have to get, our whole society has to do what they can. And not just to take care of your own health, but we have to put, a, put the oxygen mask and take care of our own health and be role models. But we also have to reach out and help our communities, our local communities and our international communities. We have to work out and help, and, and so people can know that they have an opportunity to, to realize the American dream. They can be happy, they can succeed, they can prosper. They can take care of their families. They can avoid these sicknesses. But right now, we have incredible tragedy occurring. And our government's not going to help it because who pays for it is not going to be the issue. Mm-hmm. We, this has to be a grassroots organization. We, and we could change our healthcare crisis. We could stop so much tragic deaths and tragic suffering if we really try to spread this message of hope and of good taste and of good health. And for people recognize how powerful this tool of nutrition is. Because there's so much money spent on... on how should we say, brainwashing people to think that what they eat doesn't matter. They can eat anything they want as long as they have access to medical care and take drugs and that their lifespan is dependent on access to medical care. And it's really, it has very little effect on lifespan. It's really access to good food that's the major issue here. And then on a medical crisis and our healthcare crisis due to food, is inadequate food and inadequate education about nutrition. So it's all about getting our population excited about this and, and engaged in helping. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for your optimism. That is so needed right now. And I just wanted to quote um, page 97. You said, doctors should not smoke. They should not drink alcohol. They should not drink soda. They should not eat fast food or junk food. They should be pillars of health in our communities, and they should fight for healthy habits among their patients and in their communities. There's so many doctors out there that I think they're stuck in the trap too. And just like you said, they tell their patients, your disease is not related to food. And sometimes those patients come to me and say, well, this other specialist told me uh, it has nothing to do with my diet. And they're probably not eating an optimal diet. 
how can we get more physicians and more health professionals on board to this way so that they can start spreading the message of good health? You know, I'm all for that, but I really think that shouldn't be our focus because I think that it's it, that the physicians will arise to reach the needs of the population when the population demands and is looking for that type of care. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, so it's a pop, when, when people want nutritional care, doctors will develop that expertise. Mm -hmm. When people want to spend their money in restaurants that serve healthy meals, restaurants will open up to serve healthy meals. When it's, it's, it's where the money is spent, you know, and mm -hmm. there's not enough demand for doctors who are, nutri who are nutritional education. And lifestyle medicine physicians who are expanding like crazy are still hungry for patients because people don't see them because the public doesn't see the lifestyle medicine physician as being the pillar of the answer for them. They'd rather just go take a drug. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, so it, it's really has still to focus on society too. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to, and doctors will learn more as society learns more. Right now our doctor doesn't know, they're experts in pharmaceuticals, right? And the doctors themselves are unhealthy and dropping yeah. dead of heart attacks, right? Just, yeah. I mean, the, the president of the American Heart Association just had a heart attack at age 52 years old. What kind of, right? So I'm saying that, heart, that how misinformed about nutrition has, did he have to be to have a heart attack at age 52, you know, thinking it's so, you know, you know what I mean? So the doctors themselves are tremendously informed because society is tremendously informed. Yeah. So we need to just start with regular people, just regular society and right. encourage people to continue to model good health. And after they set the example, what other steps can they take? I mean, do you recommend being active on social media or being involved in their communities? What would be one simple way that people can start spreading the message? Well, that's the thing. You know, it, it really bugs me that, you know, because some people are, um, they know about this message, but they're so, how should they say it, um, embarrassed. They're socially hiding they're, they'll bring their children to a birthday party or they'll put on a birthday party and they'll serve pizza and junk food and candy to their neighbors because they want to look like everybody else. Yeah. They're losing this opportunity to realize direct how important this message is. So you're, it's okay to kill other, to harm other children. You know, we're saying here that candy and, and um, junk food and cake destroys children's brains but where it's, and ruins their intelligence and increases their life, later life of cancer, but it's okay to serve them that at your house on Halloween. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What I'm saying is we all have to take a stand. We all have to be individually strong. Yeah. We have to take care of our own families, and we have to do so in a way that's very public in the community, and not being afraid to be different. You know, how it's, it's a personality weakness that you have to try to go after, that you have to try to fit in. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you can't eat healthy if you're trying to fit in. You have to have a strong enough personality to be willing to be different from other people and do the right thing. Yeah. And when you do the right thing, you're sending a visible message out to society that no, it's not good enough to have a birthday party and serve birthday cake. You can make a healthy birthday cake with dates to eat it with no sugar. It's not good enough to, serve, to just have pizza. We you know, have a soda to serve kids soda. That's not what we should be doing. It's not when we shouldn't allow mothers to bring donuts and, and um, ring dings to, to soccer games. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't allow them to, you know, we shouldn't be having them, their children's poison because they play, they hit a baseball and now they got to eat junk food because the mothers bring it to the kids after they ran around the bases for, for half an hour. 
You know, in other words, we have to be vocally oppose what's going on in our society today on our local community levels and get in your community, whether it's on your local PTA, whether it's in your local religious organization, whether it's the people you hang with or whether it's in your local community, you can work with improving the nutrition and get this information out there and be sharing this information and being a fighter for better nutrition in your community. If people do this all over the world, we'd have it all over the country, we'd have a completely different country. The people would be educated. But so many people with some nutritional knowledge are hidden nutritarians. They're closet nutritarians. They're embarrassed about being healthy eaters. They don't want to look different, and they don't want to fight for what they know is so important. But So that's where, you know, I'm out there with this book, Fast Food Genocide. This gives people something they can share with their neighbors. This gives people information that says, look, you're damaging your children's intelligence. What they eat, if they eat one serving of French fries per week as a child, that increases the risk of getting developing breast or prostate cancer more than 25%. Is that what you want? Is that the, what you want to do for your children? Do you know the damage of, of, of fried foods? Do you know the difference damage of potato chips and of cheese doodles? How damaged that food is? Do you know when you bring your child and you have French fries at a fast food restaurant? That oil, how carcinogenic that oil is? Do you know, you know. So I'm saying here that we have to educate our population, and we have, we need an army of people excited about this and, and spreading this information out there. Oh, thank you so much for your passion. And I agree. I'm a bold personality type, so it's not as difficult for me, but I know that some other people out there, it might be a little bit more difficult for them. But what Dr. Furman is saying, guys, is get that courage and be brave and stand for what you know is right because this is our, these are our children. This is our future. This, this is going to be generations down the road. And if we want hope for the future, we have to take an extreme stand against the extreme, unnatural, obesogenic, hyperpalatable environment that we've created, because that's extreme as well. That is not natural. Speaking of children, one thing that was very shocking for me when I read your book was your recommendations on how pregnant women should eat and how not just what my mom ate, but what my grandmother ate affected me and my development. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I think there's so many, um, the book, um, Fast for Genocide, I think in reading it and writing it, it has um, fascinating information in it that makes it really interesting for people to read. It's not just another book on health and nutrition. There's tremendous information here about um, animal studies and historical evidence and what's happened throughout the history of this country, how's affected food, and what we're talking right now about how the way we eat damaging our genes on an epigenetic level that can be passed on to future generations. We're seeing it occurring right now in humans. We're seeing a tremendous explosion in autism as a way the parents, not just what the mother or father ate when she was pregnant, it's what both parents, or I should say what either parent ate before the baby was conceived, because it affects the quality of the egg and the sperm before they come together. Mm -hmm. And there's a link between, for example, processed meats and junk food and childhood cancer even. In other words, before you get pregnant, you eat junk food and you eat, and there's a link between lack of green vegetables in the diet and childhood cancer. And so you know what we do in this, we, that our medical profession sees the lack of green vegetables causing a folate deficiency, right? So the lack of green vegetables 
So instead of advising people to eat green vegetables and beans that are high in, and asparagus that are high in folate, instead we give them folic acid, a synthetic pill made from petroleum, to take the place of eating green vegetables. So now we've caused an explosion in child cancer and, and childhood cancer and brain tumors and autism because we're giving them folic acid and telling them to eat green vegetables. When they get the folate from the green vegetables, there's thousands of other nutrients to getting along with the folate that's protective against the child's future, not just the folate. And folic acid is not folate. It's not the same compound. It doesn't do what real folate can do. So now we have a whole bunch of women taking folic acid when they're in the preconception phases or in the, or the early stages of the pregnancy to prevent neural tube defects, and they still aren't paying attention to eating green vegetables or not eating the foods that can cause brain damage in their children. It's, so it's absolutely crazy. And the studies you're referring to showing that with animals, that there's a natural relationship between predator and prey animals and when the predator animals eat too much of the prey, it slows down their lifespan. Because if they ate all the prey, they decimate the prey population and they become extinct. And then the predators become extinct because there's no prey to eat. So the body uses animal protein. An excess amount of animal protein speeds up the aging process, but also affects future generations. So when you overeat protein, like take an example of a, a paleo diet or a person telling you, work out in the gym, eat a lot of protein you're not just gonna cut short in your lifespan because it's a predator. Now you're a predator, a predator eating more protein. It's gonna shorten your lifespan now to prevent the prey from being decimated. But it's also gonna shorten the lifespan of your children. Because your children, because let's say you have, um, in a natural environment, the children of the predator animals could continue to decimate the prey population. So when, when an animal overeats protein, it has multi-generational effects on reducing lifespan so the prey animals have a chance to repopulate and not become extinct. Mm -hmm. So we're saying here that when we take in excessive amounts of foods that promote excessive amounts of growth hormones, they age us prematurely. They promote cellular replication. They increase the risk of our cancer. And they promote a shortened lifespan for ourselves and our children when we overeat, especially overeat animal protein, highly concentrated proteins. Mm -hmm. So the foods that maximize growth that make us grow too fast, and especially when we're fully grown as an adult, eating foods that promote growth will start to promote aging and promote cancer. Mm -hmm. And so we see that in these people advocating these paleo, these high protein paleo type diets that are causing tremendous lifespan shortening, damaging effects on people's lives. And, and these diets are popular because mm -hmm. people just love to eat their meat, not realize, recognizing how dangerous they are. And it's ironic because right now in our society, it's almost the belief is almost that you can't get too much protein, that you need to maximize the protein, especially from animal sources in order to be healthy and to build muscle. But it seems from the research that the opposite is true, that we really need to minimize that animal protein because that's what is linked to cancer and chronic diseases. But during pregnancy, especially if mothers are really uh, valuing the future health of their children, not just how well their baby is growing, but the health of their children decades down the road, it's important what they do eat, such as the leafy greens and berries and all that, as well as limiting some of these other foods that could be toxic and affect the future generations. Um, but that just highlights how important it is that we eat well during our pregnancies and we take care of our bodies because it really has a very long-term effect. It's right. If you have a child with autism, you know, we're, we've had this explosion in autism and learning disabilities, and nobody's talking about the food. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's crazy. We have an explosion in diabetes. We have an explosion in cancer. We have an explosion in autoimmune disease. We have an explosion in childhood cancer and learning disabilities and autoimmune disease and in allergies and even, and even the explosion in crime since the 1960s and murders. And, and nobody's bringing it back to the change in the food supply and the, and the growth of the fast food and processed food industry, which happened after World War II. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really what the, the, one of the major factors. And, and our whole society is ignoring the most, most important factor here in the development of all these horrible tragedies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Furman, right now there might be some families listening that feel very overwhelmed. They're listening to some of these data and are starting to get very fearful their children eat a highly processed diet, a lot of animal products. Where can families start if they want to move in the path towards health? What would be a simple way that they can start getting in that direction? You know, um, kids love being involved with making healthy foods and showing healthy foods can taste great. The, bla- the place to start is you have a family meeting, and you discuss the data, and you discuss this information. I don't care if the child's three years old. You have family meetings, you discuss this information. You bring it down to their level. When my daughter, Kara, was four, she said to me, why are these parents not loving their children, allowing them to eat junk food? Don't they know that it makes their brains and it makes their bodies? At four years, they understand the concept of what you eat makes their bodies. The point is, is that you work together when your family unit to have everybody be on board and you come to some new regu- rules and regulations in your family because out of love for each other and care and knowledge, you share information and you discuss this information. So, you know, my, I, I've written a book called Disease Proof Your Child that has lots of information about to how to make healthy food taste great for children, how to set your home up. But, but this book, Fast Food Genocide, is a perfect book to go over little parts of the book and discuss with your family. Of course, you bring it down to the level of the person you're discussing it with, but we want... If you have a, a, a normal, I mean, a, a family with multiple, a multiple family people, and, you know, a household with a lot of people in it, you should have meetings about nutrition in your, whole, in your whole family. And we want people to be able to communicate and set up, well, what are the rules of this family right now? Maybe we're transitioning. Maybe we're only going to cut out eat, only eating commercial dessert once a week. And other than that, we're just going to make nutritarian desserts and not, you know, with no sugar and only sweetened with fruit or something. You know? Maybe you're going to come to the new, maybe you're going to move in that direction. Maybe you're going to start. So we've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and it starts by having, taking this body of knowledge, learning it, and then start to being able to discuss it among family members and start to make the changes in your lives that the family agrees on collectively. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What is, what's the family going to agree on collectively? And make your household, your house, a safe haven. So you're not tempted to eat junk food in the family. So at least if, so the people that want to be healthy in the family can be and don't have the junk sitting right in front of them. The person wants to eat something unhealthy, let them have to do that outside of the home. Mm-hmm. Keep your house a very protective, safe haven of healthy foods. Absolutely. I love that. I say the same thing. I call it the Mecca. Keep your home the Mecca of nutrition. And then outside, maybe have a little bit more flexibility. But I agree with you. I teach kids cooking classes. And I was at the beginning when I started doing this, I was really surprised that even little kids, they understand what health means, and they want to be healthy. (laughs) So once you give them the knowledge of what those things that they can do to be healthy are, they want to do those things. And yes. one advantage that And they want their have, parents to be healthy too, by yes, the way. Yes, yes. And, and you know, the, I see patients, I say, you've got to watch what your parents are eating because they're going to be, you're not going to have you know, parents anymore. <laughs> they, don't, they don't learn about food and the parents, and they, so they gotta, the kids have to stop their kid, parents from smoking and the kids have to stop their parents from eating junk food because the parents are addicted. Exactly. No, I always, 
I warn the parents when the kids come to my kids' cooking classes, I like expect that your kid might start questioning some of your choices because <laughs> it starts happening. And That's the other funny. advantage too that parents have of small kids is that small kids don't go grocery shopping and don't drive cars. So if you are uh, the mother or father of a small child, um, you really do have the ability to make the choices for your family. Be empowered and know that you can say no to bringing junk food home because you're the one buying it and bringing it home. So just wanted to put that little reminder out there. What is your opinion on moderation? If there is a family out there that is really looking to optimize the health of themselves and their children, how would you define moderation and how do you use that? Well, I mean, are you talking about snorting cocaine in moderation? Because some people that are addicted to cocaine, even a little bit of snorting cocaine makes them want more cocaine. Or you're talking about people who are alcoholics, if they really are an alcoholic, even moderate use of alcohol could trigger an alcohol binge and be that unhealthy for them. You know, food is very addicting, and the majority of people in our country are overweight or obese and have become food addicts. They can't control their food behavior, and they emotionally and they eat for addictive purposes, and the food's designed to be addicting. So in this addictive, obese, and overweight society where people are killing themselves with food, moderation is usually utilized as an excuse to maintain their addiction and to, and, and it, it, how should I say, it sabotages their results and their ability to get to a, back to a healthy weight and get rid of their high blood pressure, get rid of their diabetes. And, and it also sabotages their ability to retrain their taste buds to like healthy food. Mm -hmm. So... You know what? Sometimes moving with baby steps in the right direction can work for some people, like cutting back on smoking little by little. But I think for the majority of people, because every person is different, this is an art to determine what, how, how the level that's going to work best for you. But for most people, getting those foods out of your diet completely is more effective because then you lose the desire for them faster and you start to develop a taste for the foods you're eating. And if you're not eating the high sugar, highly palatable foods, your taste buds get stronger and you start to appreciate the healthy natural foods more. And then you're not being, and, and then when you start to eat those foods, you want even more of those bad foods. It's better to stay away from them for a while. And lo and behold, soon you'll be preferring the healthier foods. The longer you stay away from cigarettes, the more cigarettes smell and taste terrible to you. The more you stay away from the bad foods, if you can do that for a while, even for a few months, the more you'll lose your attraction to think those foods are are attractive to you. And if you keep putting them back in your diet again, you're not going to be become this, they're not going to become less attractive to you. So for many people, moderation sabotages their, the results they could potentially achieve. And their enjoyment of a healthy diet is sabotaged by this idea of moderation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easier to just rip off the Band-Aid and right. draw a line in the sand and just stick to it. And it's true. I, I explained this concept of neuroadaptation to my patients and clients. Because a lot of people, when they're stuck in that pleasure trap where they're eating the hyperpalatable food, they can't imagine that plain steamed broccoli would ever taste good. Like to them, it's just like they make some gag, you know, but your brain does get there because those are whole natural foods that we should be eating. And once our neuroreceptors, everything kind of regulates itself back again, those foods taste amazing and delicious. That's right. Your taste buds get stronger. Your smell and your taste improves when you get healthier. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Well, let's change gears a little bit. I want to talk about you. You are so passionate. You seem tireless. You've written so many books and been to so many conferences. You do so much of this great work. What motivates you to do this work? 
I love it. You know, I, I've been doing this my whole life. It's in other words, as a teenager, I've been reading books on health and nutrition, and I've been looking at the tr what happens, what's happening to society. You know, and I and what is more thrilling and rewarding about watching a person transform their health and earn, you know, get rid of that. You know, we become doctors because we want to see people get well because it's exciting having a positive effect on somebody's life that you took a part of that positive effect on their life. And so many doctors are fed up with their careers and lose their passion and, and, and see it as a means only to make a living and, and a painful way to make a living under stress because their patients are getting sicker and sicker and they don't see the impact that they have in being able to really be the, the major driver of this person's wellness. So I think what drives me the most is being the major driver of the, people, of the person's wellness and seeing so many thousands of people around the country that, have, that are grateful and to me be, that they've gotten their health back again. The fact that I had some small part to play in them getting their health back or the bettering their health is tremendously satisfying and so rewarding. I'm so blessed to have a career that is so exciting like this to me. Um, so I'm really um, we're very grateful for the opportunity I've had to have this and so many people to have, um, how should I say, taken my advice into their lives, incorporated it and benefited from it. What could feel better than that? You know what I mean? Oh, that's beautiful. And you have made such a great contribution. So thank you so much. You. What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Hmm. Well, you know, I just love physical fitness and sports. You know what I mean? I like playing tennis and skiing. I'm always into doing things. I like playing ping pong with my son and playing whatever. I like doing things and playing um, beach volleyball or swimming or snorkeling. I just like doing stuff. So I like staying physically fit. So I think I'm, so I'm always, I'm not comfortable if I go a few days without exercising. Mm -hmm. So I do like to exercise and stay fit. And I think I enjoy it tremendously. And it's just become something I've done my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't know if that's what I'm most proud of. I wouldn't say most proud of. I'm probably most proud of um, having goodwill for other people and being a good father and a good husband and doing a, you know, and, and being there for when my, you know, when people need you, being there to help them. I'm most proud of making myself available and, 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 and with using thought, deep thought and time and effort to make sure that I'm available to be useful to other people and to be there as a, a loving um, person to help my family and, and other people in need. So I think that I'm most proud of, but staying physically fit is just a habit that I enjoy. You know what I mean? And sports. Awesome. awesome. And do you exercise most days? Yes. I think most days I exercise, but if I don't exercise one day, I certainly do so the next. Awesome. Any final thoughts you have from the book that you would like to highlight for the listeners? Well, yeah, there were, I think we did highlight some of those things because we talked about the negative effects of unhealthy eating, but I think that, you know, we can't overemphasize the fact is that don't be satisfied with being overweight. Don't be satisfied with having high blood pressure. Don't be satisfied with having headaches or skin disease or eczema or, or you know, or chronic migraines or fibromyalgia or, in other words, what I'm saying right now is that don't underestimate the power of nutritional excellence to give you your full life back. And don't be satisfied with being sick. Don't just think you're going to be sick the rest of your life. With the right kind of nutrition, with, you know, nutrition is very powerful and can enable you to make a full recovery. So whether you failed diets in the past, whether you've tried different things, and to, you know, don't give up. 
you know, don't check out, get into the game, and let's have you work to achieving great health because it's exciting, it's fun, it's doable, and it's, it's tasty, and it's delicious too. And I think, I've, I'm, I think I'm also proud of the fact that I've made this be delicious for a lot of people and enjoyable for a lot of people in my, in my decades of, ex- of creating recipes and experimenting, you know? Oh, yes, beautiful, definitely. I want to emphasize what you said. Don't give up. Even if you've Don't tried 15, 20 times before, get back on the bandwagon, look up Dr. Furman's books, look up more about the nutritarian diet and how you really can optimize the benefits of these beautiful, delicious whole plant foods in your life that they can really start turning your life and your mood around. They can change your whole life. So that is wonderful. Thank you for saying that. Dr. Furman, did you want to talk about any of your services or products, or do you have any upcoming appearances anywhere that you'd like to tell us about? Well, I'm always doing events and getaways, like we have like healthy vacations and learning experiences, so people can learn on drfirman.com on the events page, where we're taking maybe a trip if they're interested in doing that, or joining me on, you know, on something like that. So I think they can just learn more at drfirman.com and let people know that you know, I have member services where I actually have... Um, you know, food addictions counselors and a medical staff where we answer people's questions, help guide them and motivate them and give them care, even over the internet to be able to ask questions, you know, in our, in our, through the website to make sure they don't feel alone or left out. And if they really want to do this and want help, they, we have, I, I may, I've taken care of um, removing obstacles for their success and making sure they can get the knowledge they need to have the success they want to get, they want to achieve. Awesome. Thank you. So is the best way to connect with you on the website, drfurman.com? drfurman.com. And you're also available on Facebook too. So I know that you guys post on there. So that's great. Okay. Well, I am so grateful that you came on my podcast today. So thank you so much for being here, but also thank you again for all the contributions you have made, are making, and will make in the future, because I know you're gonna keep on going. Um, We are very thankful for everything that you have contributed. Thank you, same to you. Look, look at I'm excited about seeing the work that wonderful work you're doing as well. So take care and best of health to you and all your listeners. Thank you, Bye. bye. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R, at veggiefitkids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. I'm
Charlie. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.